first time, so do forgive me if I seem just somewhat occupied for a few seconds, but this looks like it's counting. Fantastic. So this is for the purposes of the tape. Uh, session number four, the world's view of truth. Um, just to reassure, I think, Joe and Dharma, who weren't able to come for the first one, we, I have managed to extract the original recordings of week one, and I'm uploading them onto the uh, computer, and so I'll send you some links very shortly. Forgive me for the delay in that. Our boy Quincy has been not very well, and he's a technician around here, and I'm the laggard. Uh, so that just explains a slight delay on that one. Um, we're going to look again at two sessions tonight, and um, so we are kind of keeping the pace up. Um, keep with us. Uh, after this one, we've got another one on a similar topic as tonight, and then we're going to just slow down a little bit, so the pace will drop a little bit, we'll have opportunity to reflect, review, then there'll be a bit of a pause. Now hopefully the text message that you all received to remind you about tonight, you also noted that there were some other dates there, just confirming as Dale explained uh, a week ago, that we're not going to have the one on the 5th of June, but we're going to have it on uh, Sunday the 8th of June for that ministry time together, 2 till 6 p.m., uh, and then there's another two Thursdays after that. So hopefully you've got that. If you also receive our email weekly update, please forgive me, I put the wrong dates about Freedom in Christ in that. So if you ever come uh, to a discrepancy between the text message and the email, um, I just preempt you pointing that out to me uh, because, yes, I have got it wrong. And the text message is correct. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, I do make mistakes. Uh, normally about one a day, actually. It's about my average at the moment. I'm uh, accounting. But that's not bad. I'm making lots of things in a day. Anyway, tonight, um, about over these next two weeks, what we're going to look at are some of the things that deflect us from the truth. And in fact, we're reminded that we've got three enemies, three things that can deflect us from the truth. The world, the flesh, and the devil himself. And so tonight we're going to look at the world and the flesh. And next week we're going to look at the devil and how we combat his tactics. Uh, you can follow this session by looking at page 36. That's where we're off. I think 35 might have an introductory, just some objectives, key verse, etc. But in terms of the content now, we're starting here at page 36. And it first asks a question and gives an answer. What is the world? What are we talking about? What's the Bible referring to? when it refers to the world as our enemy. How does the world then try to make us look at reality in a way that's opposed to what God thinks and says? And a key verse uh, for understanding this is Ephesians 2 verse 2. So hopefully it's one of them that's referenced in your booklets that you can look at as well at home. And it says this, As for you, you were dead in transgressions and sins in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world, there's that phrase, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And the world, if you like, in that sense, as used there, is referring to, if you like, the culture or the system that has primarily shaped our lives on earth. Since we were born and grew up and now into our adulthood, that we have been immersed in a culture and a system and a way of thinking. We didn't choose it, it, we just happened to be there. It will vary by place around the world and even place uh, you know, locally, and it will depend very much on our own experiences and where we live now. 
So the world isn't a person. It's a system, if you, if you like, a way of thinking. However, there is a person behind it. That person, of course, is Satan. Satan pulling the strings and working through the world, if you like. Which is why in our key verse we've looked at here, Ephesians 2.2, as well as saying we've followed the ways of the world before we're in Christ, it also says, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Which is one of the many titles of ex or expressions describing uh, the devil. The ruler of the world. In fact, it's described as in John 12. And what we're going to look at tonight, really, are the three main ways in which the world tries to deflect us from the truth and infect us with lies and distorted view of reality. And the first tactic, as um, entitled in the book there, is promising to meet our deep needs. Hi, Louise, come in, please, just, just creep in there. Uh, promising to meet our deep needs. As we've looked at previously, we have been created by God to experience perfect security, the highest level of significance and 100% acceptance. That's how Adam and Eve were created in the garden. That's what they genuinely experienced before sin came in, right at the beginning. But because sin has come in, uh, we, since Adam and Eve, have not had that spiritual connection with God from birth. It wasn't there. We weren't born with that. We were born, in fact, in sin. And, but since our very first breath, we've had this instinctive desire to look to fulfil those three things of uh, security, significance and acceptance. Because it's inbuilt, it's the way God's made us to look for those things. Uh, because we didn't have a spiritual connection for God, of course, we were then prone to the world, the system, the culture we were born in, just popping up and saying, ha-ha, here I am, come and find it in me. And we've looked, I think, in previous weeks at the way the world deceives us and says you can get significance by performing and by accomplishing things. That's how you get significance on the world. It's, it fooled us into thinking you can get security by gaining status and also recognition from people. It fooled us into thinking we could gain this need for acceptance by the way we look, our appearance, and by attracting admiration of others. So that's, that's how the world has looked to influence us. And naturally, therefore, we've followed the ways of this world as it said in that verse we looked at at the beginning, Ephesians 2. And if you like, the world has just given us a double whammy, a bit of a one-two on the old boxing match front. Because firstly, it, it makes us feel insignificant. It makes us feel insecure. It makes us feel that nobody likes us. But then, simultaneously, it offers us the false promise that, in fact, we can achieve those things through the world. Let me just uh, give you a couple of silly examples, perhaps just by way of illustration, perhaps they're not that silly. If you base your need for acceptance on how you look, you can use all the Botox or the cosmetic surgery that you like, but sooner or later the ageing process catches up and you will age and your good looks, no doubt, will fade. Uh, some may say that I resemble a couple of famous people, maybe a Prince Charles, maybe a Gary... Lineker. It's not because of my posh accent. I can put it on, but uh, I was born in the Thames Estuary, uh, or grew up in the Thames Estuary, so it's been very hard to gain a posh accent. Well, it's not because of my football skills. Um, and, you know, cosmetic surgery, maybe I would have pinned back 
my lug holes, but uh, the, 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 the funny thing about age is there are two things that grow in old age, your nose and your ears. So, so eventually, if I uh, succumb to such things, uh, ageing will have the last laugh. I'll just give you another Bible verse here. 1 John 2 verse 15 explains a little bit about how the world works. It says this. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. I just want to pick up those three phrases, because they describe the three, if you like, channels in which the world tries to tempt us. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's really interesting to see, actually, those three forms of temptation were right there in the Garden of Eden. When you look at the way the serpent, Satan, tempted Eve, it was those three tactics he used. Fascinating as well to see when Jesus was tempted again by Satan in the wilderness for those 40 days, it's the same three temptations that he used. So he's only got three tactics, but we need to be mindful of them. The first one then, the lust of the flesh. The world system appeals to us often on our base appetites. What am I talking about? Well, at one level, food and drink, nourishment and sustenance of a physical nature are uh, one of our base appetites, aren't they? We're built that way. But of course the world can then bombard us with tempting things that will say not only will it satisfy your nourishing needs, but also you know, beyond that it will give you lasting comfort and significance, etc. And before we know it, it's possible at times our flesh starts to cry out for these things. More, more, feed me. So while I was in Sainsbury's uh, looking for some little delights and delicacies for you tonight, the minstrels were there shouting out at me, come and buy me, come and buy me, even though the jelly babies were on half price. Just there's something about a minstrel, isn't there? What is it? It's just satisfying. It doesn't melt in the hand. It's just pure <laughs> chocolate. No, it's jelly baby rubbish. Anyway, so there you go. Do tuck in. I have another minstrel. Um, the second tactic, the second channel, oh, there goes the old thing you'll see, um, that the world uses is the lust of the eyes. And a great deal of the world's attraction is presented to us through visual images. And we know the effect, don't we? Glossy magazines, TV ads, it's all about the visual stimulus. Of course, now with the internet, we've got almost infinite uh, instant images of our choice at our fingertips at the touch of a button. And they ultimately, of course, they don't lead us into the bright future that they promise, but into often darkness and confusion. Uh, my previous life, I was into market research. I conducted surveys, uh, like 8 out of 10 cats preferred whiskers, although I've never actually conducted a survey amongst cats, but uh, normally people. So my eyes were drawn to uh, some survey results here, so uh, I'll just share them with you. A survey found that half of Christian men, 20% of Christian women, were in fact addicted to internet pornography, which is quite a startling statistic. Um, I don't know the source, so I haven't validated, I haven't checked that it was a representative sample, all those natural things that I would do as a market researcher, but nonetheless, it's, it's there, and it's uh, interesting. But of course, the, the addiction starts with the world promising that it will meet our need for intimacy 
simply through visual images of naked flesh. That is its temptation, isn't it? Um, and we can think, oh, what, what harm can it do? It? What harm could it do to us? It's not actual physical sex. Is the kind of seductive strap line that comes with it. And before we know it, you know, it got a hold on us. It's got a hook into us and uh, encourages us to look at more and more extreme things. In Matthew 6, Jesus said this, verse 22, he said, The eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So there we are, the lust of the eyes. And the third channel that the world uses here is the pride of life, the third type of temptation, if you like. And it is to boast. That's the temptation, to boast in our lives, in ourselves. Jesus made it very clear that we can't serve two masters. Uh, we can't serve God and the world, mammon, wealth, possessions, etc. But of course the world's agenda is to get us to serve it, and therefore we don't serve God. And when we feel the need to boast about our possessions, our achievements, who we know, who we've met, what we've done, what t-shirts we've got, it does show something about our insecurities as a person. Uh, we're using them, if you like, as a crutch to bolster our self-image. But we don't need to do that anymore because we know now in Christ we are holy and pleasing to God. We're accepted and we're completely secure in him. We don't need anything to act as a crutch for our self-image. So there you go. Number one tactic is promising to meet our deep needs. Um, the world also uh, paints a complete but false picture of reality. That's the second tactic of the world. And in some ways, this is a bigger deception than the first. And it's often, because it's a deception, harder to spot. Has anyone ever created an avatar or a person in second life? Anyone ever done that? Anyone got any avatars out there? Sorry, I'm not going to say wrong. But no, it's just interesting, isn't it? Um, the, only, the closest I've got to this, I don't know if you know the Wii machine kind of game, Nintendo Wii, but you create a little me, don't you? A little me, M-I-I, -I, I think it is, of your character. And so, of course, my one, or not one at home, you see, is, 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 it looks like me, I like to think, um, except that it's got uh, a full head of hair. It's, it's out here somewhere, like I had in my youth, you know, really long locks. Uh, how I'd like to be. Uh, of course, it's got a nice beard. Of course, it's jet black. There's none of this kind of badger look about it. But, so, you know, you do. You create what you want, don't you, to represent you. And he's got these great, lovely kind of designer sunglasses. Not like those kind of like wonky ones that I put on in the car that are half falling off. Um, in fact, my, my daughter uses some of her, these kind of second life things a little bit. She's got uh, kind of, she's building a house or a city or something in Minecraft or some bizarre thing. Uh, anyway, you can make real mistakes in the second life. So she built a swimming pool <coughs> in her house. Not in real, yeah. yeah. Uh, and instead of filling it with water, she filled it with lava. I mean, how do you do that? I mean, that's... <laughs> Thankfully, you can't make those kind of mistakes in real life. You can just get dates wrong, which is okay. You can undo those, but to fill a swimming pool... Anyway. Um, well, but that's effectively what the world is trying to do to us. It's trying us to project a form of reality that isn't actually really there. You can't, of course, uh, um, go to the mirror in the morning and 
try the slide button to make you look slimmer. That just isn't there. It's only there in the virtual world. Uh, we're at the top of page 37 at this point, and the point it's trying to make here is we all have a world view. If you like, a way of looking at reality that we have uh, developed through our experiences in life. If you like, we're all children of our time. Our time, our culture, our place that we've grown up has moulded a way of thinking, much of which we take on board. And we assume, therefore, that many things are true because everyone around us just believes them to be true as an assumption. It's just there. It's part of the background. Of course, the truth doesn't change, but society's view of truth and reality differs by culture and over time. And what happens is um, this worldview acts like a filter, even when we don't realise it. But in fact, it's faulty, it's wrong, it's causing us to make wrong conclusions about the world and about life and our judgments of it. So what we're going to do now is just look at three of the most common kind of macro-level worldviews that are out there. Some of them you might recognise in yourself, some of them you might recognise uh, in others. Um, the first worldview that I want to just alert us to is called animism. In fact, you might not have heard of it, but it is the most common worldview if you look at the kind of billions of people on the planet, even though it's not so dominant in the West in the UK. So let me just explain a little bit about it. It is a belief that our lives are controlled by uh, some kind of universal power. And actually that universal power runs through everything, whether animal, vegetable or mineral. And also that there are all these types of spirits that are influencing the world. And so therefore, when something bad happens to you, the suspicion then is that somebody is manipulating that power or that... Um, They've got some access to the spirits that are being turned against you. And so your natural instinct in that worldview is to go to a witch doctor or something similar. Just as we might go to an electrician if we've got an electrical problem or a dentist if we've got some problem with our teeth. That's just the natural disposition. That's what you do. And of course, though, it leads people to live in fear. You're fearful, of course, that someone else has got greater control on those powers or has got uh, uh, or maybe you've unwittingly upset one of the spirits. Another worldview that may be more familiar to us is called modernism. That's much more prevalent in the West, top of page 38, um, where this is all about logic and finding reasons uh, and using those to fix our problems. The kind of worldview looks at everything and divides it into two broad camps. It's the natural stuff and there's the supernatural stuff, and God would feature in that. But the supernatural stuff is largely ignored and forgotten. So we find, don't we, many people in our culture in the UK who might claim they believe in a god or a deity, but actually, in practice, they're atheists. Their day-to-day -day lives will bear out uh, a belief of atheism, even though they are sent to some kind of supernatural possibility. Uh, so, so some interesting duplicity there. Really, the emphasis is putting faith in what you can see and what you can touch and what you can measure. And so all the spiritual side of stuff, the supernatural, is swept away as things that are pretty much unnecessary for life, irrelevant, not necessary, therefore, to teach to children, not in the school curriculum, etc. Like God is completely filtered out of that worldview. So 
He may exist, but he may well as not, not bother existing, if you like. And sometimes us as Christians find that we've come from that background. That has been the worldview that we previously had. And it can be easy for some people in that scenario to profess intellectually that they believe in God, and even in the existence of Satan, but then they live out their Christian lives almost as if that wasn't real, or maybe even the spiritual, the, the, the kind of evil side, the Satan side, wasn't really real. And the third common worldview is, is postmodernism. And this is becoming increasingly prevalent. It's a more popular, a more, a more recent development, if you like. It's probably more common, therefore, in the younger generation, so it's coming through. But we're already seeing it influencing our culture today. This is where kind of personal experience determines whether an idea is valid or not. So in modernism, they might not regard God, but they don't deny the existence of truth in itself. Uh, and if you like, science is the means in which you can discover truth. But the bottom line of postmodernism is a belief that there is no real or absolute truth. It just doesn't exist. There's no absolute truth. Instead, of course, every person is able to make up and is free to make up their own version of truth, depending on their experience, depending on their perspective. So truth isn't anything revealed by God or the divine. It's something that you generate from within, I guess. And because everyone's got different experiences of life, different versions of the truth exist and are equally valid, even if they contradict each other. So, for example, you know, we hear stories like this sometimes, don't we, in the press across Europe. University professors report sometimes that students increasingly aren't prepared to say the Holocaust was wrong. They would readily admit that it would be wrong for them now, but they do not want to impose their version of truth on a different people in a different time. Let me just try and give a, a bit of an argument for it, just so you can kind of get your head around it a little bit. It would say that if all truth is created by humans, and all humans are equal, then the logic would say all truth is equally valid. I mean truth, as in the people's opinion of truth. is equally valid as long as they don't hurt anyone. Therefore, any claim uh, that is we've got all the answers should be mistrusted. It's not possible. Uh, so anyone with strong convictions, therefore, are going to be looked upon with suspicion, with contempt, and will be regarded as dangerous fanatics. And that's sometimes now, isn't it, how kind of what we might call as classic Christianity is now viewed as quite fanatical and fundamentalist. It's just regarded as something kind of dangerous because it's so uh, confident in what truth is. So postmodernism doesn't differentiate between what a person thinks and or does and the person themselves. So if you say that my behaviour is wrong, therefore you are judging me. They don't differentiate. Do you see that? Um, if you dis disagree with my beliefs, you're actually disparaging me. The two are integral. So it does create enormous pressures in our society, and we're seeing this already today, aren't we, for us to accept everybody's lifestyle as true and valid no matter what it is. Which is why there's you know, pressure within the Anglican Church, for example, to ordain practicing homosexuals. It's why Christians are under pressure 
to agree that other faiths are as true as ours. Um, of course, there are many other different uh, kind of worldviews, the macro level, micro level, different elements of it. But and I guess every philosophy, every religion will have a worldview. But we need to be clear that all of them, other than the biblical worldview, are wrong. They're in error. There's something wonky and faulty about them. So let's look, therefore, at the biblical worldview um, on page 38. Uh, has the Bible got a worldview? Well, yes, it has. And we rely on the Bible for the proper way of viewing reality as the definition of truth because we believe it is God's revelation of how it really, really, truly is. Let me put it this way. There's only one way of driving a car, isn't there? There's only one way of a, of a computer working. Therefore, obviously, there's only one way for understanding the, the universe. And it's God who created it, and it's his way. And he set it up in a particular way. Um, whatever people believe, God is truth. And that can sound very arrogant. It can sound very intolerant to a postmodern culture that we now increasingly are living in. Well, take this as an example. If you ask people of different worldviews, maybe of different faiths, I think this is on page 39, what happens when we die? Then you're going to get very different answers. The Hindu, of course, will teach you that uh, your soul will die, but then it will be reincarnated in some other form. A Christian will teach that the soul, when the body dies, carries on in eternity, either in heaven or in hell. Atheists, of course, will believe when you die, your soul is extinguished and is no more, and that is the end of you. And postmodernists, of course, would say, well, you can decide whatever you want to believe as long as you don't hurt anybody else. But logically, that doesn't make a lot of sense, because whilst we might all believe different things, surely when we all die, we will all have the same experience. One or other of these things will turn out or something else to be true. Um, they can't all be true at the same time. So absolute truth must exist. Uh, Postmodernism must be very wonky. Uh, in fact, people for centuries, for thousands of years, until recently, have always believed that there is an ultimate and uh, absolute reality. And because God is truth, all truth is his, and all truth is true everywhere, for everyone, and for all time. Just a quote from Jesus, uh, John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, the biblical worldview, the one of we're, we're going to be looking at increasingly across this course, has been tested. It's been found reliable by millions and millions of Christians over thousands of years. And many have found that by choosing to believe the biblical worldview, that they have been able to accomplish much. They've been a catalyst for all sorts of extraordinary things. Whether it's William Wilberforce and the abolition of slavery, whether it's today, people setting up, I was just hearing a bit more about battle communities that are popping up all over this country, helping people uh, from a Christian value uh, with action uh, and finding freedom. It might be unfashionable, it might be increasingly what our society around us doesn't want to hear, but it's helpful that 
we encourage each other to view Jesus as the truth. Okay, and the third tactic we're going to look at tonight that the world uses to give us a distorted view of truth is uh, described as a mix-and-match approach. In fact, just generally, understanding these worldviews, the fact that people have different assumptions about how the world and life works, is really helpful when we're sharing the gospel, and you may find this when you're speaking to people, particularly of different cultures. So somebody from a postmodern worldview, you might find, is actually quite open to discussing spirituality, maybe even more so than those from the modern viewpoint. Um, because uh, the idea of truth and uh, uh, being um, rooted in a relationship with Jesus actually may be a, an attractive idea. Those, of course, with animism as a worldview, they believe that there is an impersonal spiritual power and good and bad spirits. They may be very grateful to find in the gospel and the good news of Jesus that they can be seated with God far above all powers and authorities. So there are just different hooks of the gospel that can be more effective, if you like, depending on people's current worldview. Anyway, for us, it is crucial that we begin to really unpick and understand the worldview that we've been brought up into. The things that, through our upbringing, through where we've lived through our lives and the culture we've been immersed in, the things that have given us a false picture of reality. And that's really the homework, that's really the application for this kind of talk. We need to begin to understand what wonky understanding of truth that we've been led to believe by the system around us that is still affecting us as Christians. And instead of making a decision to turn away from our own beliefs, what we can sometimes find is that we simply add some new set of beliefs, Christian truths, to it. That's what it means by a bit of a mix and match approach, which we need to be very careful against. So as if, if you like, we had, when we grew up, we have this core belief system. If you like, it's the original worldview that we've been uh, immersed in and have adopted. And if, like, the moment we become a Christian, we add, if you like, a coating to that core belief system of Christian beliefs. But in essence, the core is still there. And so when push comes to shove, what we do is we revert to those core beliefs, not the coating beliefs. Um, and we have, um, let me put it this, this way, a couple of examples. It can be easy sometimes to see how this works when we think about people of other cultures. And then, but we need to make sure we also bear in mind it is equally relevant for us in our own. So I heard of an example of a missionary organisation which was working in East Africa. And they've been involved in church planting. They've seen this church develop. It was time now to pass on the leadership of this church to the indigenous population, to the local people. And there were various people being considered for this kind of role. Now, one of the guys who were being considered went to a witch doctor. They went to a witch doctor to try and increase their chances of being one of the leaders for this church. Now, to us, in our ears, that sounds absolutely ludicrous and ridiculous but all it, in some senses all he was doing was reverting to his core beliefs you know that world view that he'd accepted around him that had deceived him uh, and, and that had led him into this kind of error 
I mean, look, reflecting a bit more on Western culture, you know, it's true, isn't it, that in some church contexts you won't find much reference to things of the supernatural. Um, and even in some church contexts, the virgin birth, the resurrection, angels and demons, baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, all these kind of truths and doctrines and experiences are kind of airbrushed out in order to appear normal, in order to kind of resonate with the kind of Western worldview. Now, of course, we need to be careful. We don't, we're not meant to go around looking for demons under every bush, everywhere. Um, but, of course, we're going to create problems for ourselves if we completely ignore the reality of demons. We won't have a complete view of the real thing. Again, in, in many cases, sometimes we find that if something goes badly wrong for us as Christians, we start blaming God. And you tell us, you say, well, why do we do that? I think, again, it's because we've been influenced by modernism as a worldview. Um, and, and we often leave two things out of our equation, out of our thinking in those moments. Firstly, the will of other people. Other people have possibly created that bad uh, situation. But also we can be tempted to leave out the reality of Satan. And he's involved and he still has some influence in this world and can be uh, involved in some of the bad things that we experience. The Bible says, of course, of Satan that he's a thief. He comes only uh, to steal and to kill and to destroy. John 10, 10, that's what he's about. Again, when you look at medical science, uh, from a Western point of view, if somebody is hearing voices in their head, if you like, the conclusion often is automatic, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's a mental problem, it's, it's some kind of chemical imbalance. Now, that may be the case, but is it not also possible as well or instead that demons uh, are part of that voice as well and a healthy biblical worldview would at least entertain and acknowledge that possibility so we can say that we believe the bible but isn't it true that many of our decisions are made on the basis of what we can afford rather than what god is saying we say we might believe in the power of prayer, but does the way we spend our time bear that out? Or do our actions indicate that we, we think we can sort out most of our problems ourselves? Except in those 11th hour moments, those last resort situations, where we will turn to prayer. We've got to be careful. What's our core belief? Has it been affected by biblical views? Um, I mean, holding on to our core worldview can also lead to quite a shaky and weak faith. So here are a couple of statements, uh, you might have, uh, have you got them in your book? No, I don't think you have. Which, um, which, no, I'll read them out, you might have them in your book, I can't remember. Which of these statements best describes why you became a Christian? A, the first one would be, I believe because Christianity seems to work. B would be, what I've experienced leads me to feel that Christianity is true. Thirdly, I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God for all people everywhere at all times. And D, I've simply made a decision that Christianity is true for me. Of course, a valid biblical answer is C, but many Christians, often influenced by postmodernism, will say, well, it works. That's why it's true. Um, but it's not simply true. Oh, sorry, I'm reading a bit wrong. Bit. Uh, but that, of course, leads to a weak faith. And, of course, that is going to fail and not going to work. It's not going to feel true. It's not going to be the one you stick with when an alternative system of beliefs comes along. You've got a quote at the top of page 40 by a guy called Oz uh, Guinness that sums that up very well. The Christian faith is not true because it works. It works because it is true. 
It is not simply true for us, it is true for any who seek in order to find. Because truth is true even if nobody believes it, and falsehood is false even if everybody believes it. That is why truth does not yield to opinion, fashion, numbers, office, or even sincerity. It is simply true, and that is the end of it. So each of us needs to realise that what the world has caused us to believe is so incompatible with what is really true that we make a conscious decision to throw it away so that the way the Bible says reality is becomes our core belief system. Not just an add-on, not just a coating to something a bit faulty. If we don't, it will lead us to compromise, it will lead us to be double-minded, and as James puts it in the first chapter, verse 8, we'll be unstable in all that we do. Great. Thank you for that. That's the first talk there on the world. I trust that's been of some value too. What we're going to do now is as last week, break into our little discussion group. So we'll have, was it guys over this side? We'll do the same again. Guys come over here, we're creatures of habit. Uh, ladies come over here. And uh, if I set aside, say, 10 minutes or so for just chatting about that, what do you get from that? Have you understood? Are there any questions, etc.? And then we'll have another 10 minute opportunity for a drink, a relax, whatever, before we start the second one. All right? Excellent. Thank you.